Good morning. Welcome to IFG Live and a whole day of discussion on civil service reform. I'm Bronwyn Maddox, the director of the Institute. I'd like to thank as well Oracle who's supporting this day of events, which is not only our core subject, but something that we've put together very fast to look at uh, the, the government's plans at the moment and whether we or the country can make the most of the interest that there suddenly is in civil service reform. And suddenly is something that our, our panelists right through the day might contest because many of them have been working on this for many, many years. So we know the government's ambitious, wants to change the way the civil service and the state generally works. And that's been clear from the moment that Boris Johnson became prime minister. We got a bit more detail on the government's plans with Michael Gove's Ditchley lecture a few weeks ago, things like reducing the turnover in the way that people move between jobs, building up civil service skills, more experts and so on, getting civil servants out of London. Very much um, traditional themes with a bit of uh, energy behind them. And we started to understand the civil services version last week when Alex Chisholm, the government's new chief operating officer, set out plans for great people, new ideas and better results. So today couldn't be a better time to look at these ideas and ask what the government is missing, whether it will work, whether the government has learned the rounds of previous attempts at civil service reform. Do, by the way, send in your questions to this event. And if you want to say where you're, you're uh, writing in from, where in the UK or in the world, we'd love to know. It is always uh, interesting as our audience for these things expands and expands. So I'm delighted with that to kick off our first discussion. This time is different, which you can challenge, and to welcome an excellent panel to discuss that. Let me uh, start with uh, James Sue Owen, who's former uh, permanent secretary at the Department for Digital Culture, Media and Sport. Sue, very good to have you with us. I'm going to go as well to Baroness Simone Finn, who's form former special advisor and non-executive director at the Cabinet Office and who's made a special subject, if I put it that way, of these kind of reforms. She's speaking today very much in a personal capacity. We have as well with us Ravi Gramurthy, chief executive of Nesta, and Jane Dudman, public leadership editor for The Guardian, who writes very widely about all these things. So I really can't think of uh, better people to kick off this day. And again, please do start sending in your questions, uh, which can be to all of us or just a few. Let's um, start off. Sue, if you would um, perhaps give us a few thoughts at the beginning. How much of this feels new to you? And is there something about this moment that uh, does lend itself to reforms which people have been trying for some time? OK, well, thank you, uh, Bronwyn. Um, I just make uh, two or three points at the start because we're going to have a lot of debate. Uh, I think it's important to log that a lot of change has happened. Um, so the civil service that I left uh, last year is very different from the one I joined in 1989. So over that 30 years, there are a lot more women, there is better leadership, there are uh, more professionals and better use of um, economists and specialists. So there was much more change actually has happened in that period than uh, experienced by my father, who was a, a government scientist who joined in in 1950 and left in um, uh, 1986. Um, so the second point I'd make is that actually most civil servants do not work on policy. Uh, most civil servants are not in London and are not paid very much. So I think we need to bottom out whether the debate is about those people or is it really a debate about policy making that is at the moment largely uh, in Whitehall. And the third 
The third point I'd make at the start is that um, the public and industry and the private sector in general have almost no clue uh, about what the uh, civil service is. And I think that's not helpful uh, in getting uh, the kind of diversity of people that we want in the civil service and the kind of diversity of thought. Um, we can expand on those uh, during the next hour. Sue, thanks very, very much indeed. And lots, lots like I could pick up on any one of those points. But just your last point about, about the public having very little idea of what the civil service is. Um, can you spell out for us what the problem, uh, the, the problems that flow from that? Well, you know, you, you do want um, diversity of thought. Um, there has been, I mean, Michael Gove talked about this and I think he's right. There is quite a lot of uh, groupthink uh, around. We need more, uh, a, a greater variety of experience. I mean, in the US system, which I don't support, but you do have people coming in for periods of four to eight years with a lot of um, uh, private sector uh, experience. You know, we most ordinary people, um, I, I went to do a talk in a in a school in a very poor area of Hull um, two or three years ago to talk about careers and did a little straw poll at the beginning about, you know, what do you think a civil service, civil servant is? Is it a polite cleaner? Uh, is it um, uh, someone who works for the government of the day? Is it a politician or is it a spy? And <laughs> nearly all of them thought it was a spy because they'd seen spooks. They hadn't seen any TV programmes about civil servants. But, you know, when you started to talk about the kinds of decisions that civil servants make that would affect them, like at the time there was a debate about whether breakfast should be provided in school and, and you you try to kind of engage them in the thinking around an issue like that. Uh, you know, it became uh, quite interesting, but most kids have no idea uh, mm -hmm. how government works or what civil servants are, as it's not even something they would think of doing. I haven't yet thought of opening up the film production wing of the IFG to make it, make some kind of series on it, but but that may it may yet come. One of our recommendations, Simone. Um, uh, I, I when I uh, started at the IFG uh, four years ago, you were one of the first people who turned up in my office with a passionate uh, um, uh, pitch about about the need for urgent reform of the civil service. Tell me what's on your mind as you, as you've heard the government um, come out with its pronouncements. Thank you very much, Bronwyn. Um, yes, yes, indeed. Um, and, and thank you for inviting me today and for making it clear that my views are my own, not those of the Cabinet Office. Um, uh, I, as a veteran of the Francis Morton, Jeremy Hayward uh, era of civil service reform, um, I, I, you know, I, I completely agree with Sue that um, that, that, thing, that there has been an awful lot of change because the fact is reform has to be a sort of ongoing process. Um, and there, there was a fair amount of form during the uh, coalition era. And some of that's become properly established. I'm thinking of the setting up functional leadership at the centre, uh, the imposition of spending controls, um, whether these are working as, we, as they were originally envisaged or as well as they could or should, that's another question. But there's certainly a real improvement. Um, however, my, my views would be that too, you know, too often the civil service has a less than perfect record of implementation. Um, and now we're facing huge challenges and we really need to have the people with the right capabilities and skills to, to deliver the better services. The technology is moving, etc. Um, so what's what I've been thinking, well, what is different now? Well, first of all, we've had 
we have the COVID crisis. Um, and that shows absolutely some of the best of, of public service. I mean, some of the work that the civil servants have been doing um, during this time has been absolutely amazing. I mean, the processing of the universal credit uh, claims, the, the setting up of an HMRC website virtually overnight. Um, you know, it's it's been, and the things that go well, they don't get credited, they don't get known about, and they don't get written up. But, you know, the response has also highlighted some serious shortcomings and some real problems. So we've got and, and we've now got debt at eye watering levels, you know, debt GDP ratio over 100 percent. I mean, that's never before been seen in peacetime. Um, so things civil services back on the political agenda because it simply has to be now. Um, things can't go on as before. There can't be these endless meetings, endless process um, with nothing happening. And the culture can be hostile to innovation. So just very quickly, when we were identifying problems back in the coalition government. Francis, Francis Maud was very heavily criticised then for saying that things needed to change. And he always said very rightly that uh, we have some of the best civil servants in the world. Um, and I've had the privilege of working with them and, and some of them absolutely articulated the problems better than we ever could. Um, but when Francis highlighted the faults with the civil service, um, it was almost seen as heresy and he was he was quite attacked by some of the retired great and good of the service for even having the impertinence to suggest that change was needed. Um, even though civil servants themselves were keen to see change. So and, and Jeremy Hayward um, was was a completely restless reformer. Um, and now I think it's become a bit more mainstream to be able to say, you know what, we do have these problems, we do need to fix them. And that acknowledgement is, is, a, is a very important move in the right direction. And I actually think it's a rather brilliant legacy of the Jeremy Hayward, um, Francis Moore time. Um, so finally, I think reform needs to change. Challenges huge. Michael Gove is a very high performing minister. His Ditchley speech a few weeks ago was, you know, provocative and inspiring. Um, and he's he's got a great track record and he is crucially aligned this time with number 10 and the Treasury. And I think Covis has given a unique opportunity to force the pace. OK, great. Well, we'll, we'll come back in a moment to what, what exactly we all think the, the problems are. Ravi, what's what's your take on this? And you've seen it from within government, advising the Foreign Secretary and uh, and um, in energy and so on. Um, and you're now seeing it from outside. Yeah, thanks, Bronwyn. So I spent the last six years actually outside the country working on international development uh, based in the US. And it's interesting coming back into the UK debate, in particular when you ask the question about evidence-based policy. Uh, because it's a word that's been used for, for decades, but um, I think international development is probably about 10 years ahead of domestic policy and the US and US universities are far more grounded and empirical than their UK counterparts. So I do think the scale of the problem when it comes to experimental methods and evaluation is huge. Um, and what I think is exciting about the current moment is that we've not really heard, it, heard any concrete ideas from the governments, but we've got a set of instincts and they do have incredible power to, 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 to channel those. They've got the will and radicalism to use it. So normally you might think, well, will the scale of the problem be matched by the scale of the solution? I don't think that's a risk here. Um, and you've got a massive crisis where that can legitimise big change. I think the real test, though, comes with the fact that some of these ideas are so radical that they do threaten the power of government. So if you're really serious about evidence-based policy, it means experimenting, failing, uh, it means pausing and not make necessarily making decisions quickly because you actually have to wait for the evidence to come in um, and you have to be transparent and and that's fine in year one of an administration um, it becomes more and more challenging the longer you go on and when you start to own the problems great um thanks 
for that. And 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 Jane, your first thoughts on um, this moment uh, of, of change compared to the past. So at the end of June, when Mark Sedwell announced that he was going to be leaving as head of the civil service, um, I, I described it as a call to arms. And that may um, have been slightly over egging the pudding. Um, but I do think that um, this is a very uh, challenging time uh, for the civil service. Um, and um, I, I think uh, both Sue and Simon are absolutely right. There have been massive changes already, uh, really welcome changes to the way that the civil service operates. Um, we have seen more women and, and um, changes to leadership. And I think the changes that Jeremy Hayward and um, John Manzoni have brought in have been um, really uh, set the civil service on a, a really interesting path. But um, I think the, there are battle lines that have been drawn. And I think one of the things is that we have seen a number of what feels different this time is that it can feel very personal, that there have been a number of attacks on senior civil servants by their own ministers and by the government. Uh, actually, sadly, that isn't anything new. Um, but there have been, I, I think this does feel um, different in a way that is worrying. Uh, to many in the civil service. And um, as the uh, general secretary of the FDA, as Dave Penman has already pointed out, when you have this kind of attack, it is corrosive. Um, so I think it's not so much the ideas as perhaps methods. And uh, as Ravi said, there is incredible power here to make changes. But what I'd um, like to see is I'd like to see those changes being made in a more um, in a more um, in, a, in a kind of way that really brings the civil service on board. Um, it's certainly uh, different this time. This is government that we can see that acts very swiftly, despite the uh, impact of the pandemic, despite the impact of Brexit. There is still plenty of space and government resource for big machinery of government changes. We've seen that already. Big changes to the to government communications. Um, the announcement that uh, DFID will merge into the Foreign Office. The, these are these are very big changes. Um, and I suppose it's kind of odd to say that um, change feels personal when you're talking about an organisation with 400,000 um, employees. But I think one of the things that some people do worry about is if you make change in a um, in a too difficult way, then that has a huge and really quite worrying impact on the willingness of those who are um, still within the civil service to speak up and to really do um, that vital aspect of civil service neutrality, which is to speak um, truth to power. And I'd make uh, two other points. One is about the culture of the civil service. I don't see, although many of the uh, changes that Michael Gove talked about, I don't think they're particularly new. Uh, many of them are good, but I don't think that does anything to tackle the known problem of um, what is really quite a bullying culture within some departments. So I think that needs to be tackled. But for me, the bigger disappointment is the lack of vision about public services as a whole. Um, and uh, Sue talked about people not knowing what civil servants do. And I think that is part of a much wider problem about the civil service being too removed from local public services. And I would like to see a really much bigger vision of how civil servants and how departments can work much closely at a local level. And I'm sure we'll be able to talk a bit more about that. OK, Jane, thanks very much indeed. Just, just really briefly, though, you, you mentioned that this, in some ways this feels like an attack by the government uh, to some yeah. of the civil service. What, what are you thinking of? 
So I, I, I'm thinking of, you know, there have been a spate of uh, senior civil servants who, who have left this year and um, it's under quite unusual circumstances. I mean, the fact that, you know, a civil servant is actually taking uh, taking his own employer to an industrial tribunal, that's that's unusual, you know, so well, there have been a number that's, of... That's one permanent secretary and then of yeah, course the cabinet yeah. secretary going, uh, yeah. uh, going early. Yes, Mark said, well, um, all right, so let's, let's, I mean, we've got the, um, some interesting thoughts, including about the many things that have gone uh, very well. Uh, Simone was talking about the functional leadership agenda. I'm absolutely sure that 99% of the people watching this will know what that is, but for the 1% that, that was specialising, uh, encouraging civil servants to specialise in, in functions, deliver, uh, um, to, to, to get better at whether it's digital or financial or commercial and, and, and so on. And, the development of professions within the civil service. So trying to get this expert knowledge in there, something the Institute's very much uh, behind. Um, so lots of things have gone well. Um, I'm also interested that we've picked up on, on the, the, the fact that the public does not always understand um, what the civil service does. And in a way that this agenda of the government is being driven, it seems, by government frustration rather than any public clamour to change <laughs> civil service. Uh, it is very much coming from within, which may be what partly what um, drives the, the the sense of attack that uh, Jane was referring to. I'd love to hear from you now your thoughts about what should um, what should change. And we've we've all acknowledged that much has changed already. Uh, and uh, Sue, thanks for mentioning uh, the, the greater number of women and so on, uh, which the civil service has worked very very hard on. What, in your view, would you now like to see? So let's do it in a, 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 a different order. I mean, Ravi, let me come to you. So I, I pick out three things that need to change. One is this commitment to evidence, which I think sounds, again, very uh, familiar, but is actually an incredibly radical thought. So I think governments should set a commitment to say every single policy um, should be evidence-based or evidence-generating um, and set a long-term target that we will move towards that over the next 10 years. And the spending review, when the money is doled out to different government departments, it should be conditional on an evidence generating agenda. And what that means is things like auditing and evaluation being not just about money, uh, but actually whether outcomes are being met. Um, it also requires I think, a huge investment in innovation, in evaluation and in scaling, because we know that lots of ideas emerge, but often they don't actually diffuse very well. So I think that's a sort of big thing that you could do um, in the spending review. The Treasury really has to lead it if it's really going to uh, make a difference. I would say that the government departments at the moment are not well set up to really get their head around what evaluation really means. You've had a, a development of things like the What Works centres, but the only one that I think has really worked has been the Education Endowment Foundation. The others have not really been given the money. So that's the first thing. I think the second thing would be to try to think about this as a single civil service right across central and local government, because Again, uh, many people talked about how central government civil servants need to be connected to delivery and more practical. I think you're only going to get that if career paths reflect that. When I was in central government and went off to do a local government secondment, I came back in and to be honest, everyone was like, OK, yeah, whatever that. They were not very interested in what I was doing in local government. It was back onto the, the central government treadmill. Was You've got to feel that there is an incentive whereby you only become a, a senior civil servant if you um, have had some practical delivery experience. Jeremy Haywood actually tried to promote that idea, but it never really got um, implemented. Um, I think the third thing is around joining up. Um, again, the familiar problem, the biggest problems like climate change are going to require a whole of government response. And you've got to break out of the normal departmental routines and loyalties 
and I think that requires more radical ideas than uh, than we than we usually think of. Um, so one is why do we actually have such a departmental system? Um, and some of the attempts to try and make special advisors report into central uh, central core, I actually think are not a bad idea because it tries to break some of the tribal loyalties that get instantiated in our system. Um, but I think you also need to think about a cabinet office that is much, much stronger, um, but stronger by being more open and facilitative. I think if you try and ram this through as a sort of prime ministerial department, you'll get resistance. If you try and make this a shared resource, um, I, I helped create something called the Office of Climate Change, which is an attempt to create a shared resource between three departments. And that was where we actually created the Climate Change Act. I think those sorts of institutions are more likely to get the joining up that we need. All right, Ravi, Ravi thanks. And, and um, three very provocative things there. Let me, uh, and thanks for mentioning actually the, the sort of Rip Van Winkle th uh, effect that people describe of um, they, where they go out of the, the kind of course of all service to something else as foreign as a local government, let alone at business, and then come back in the sense of um, their colleagues just feeling they've missed out years. But I want to pick up on your middle one, uh, the use of evidence, um, because really, in a sense, what does that mean? Uh, um, and it's something people mention very often, but we've had a coronavirus um, program laid out by the government at every point saying it's 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 basing it on evidence. Um, and yet there are real political choices that have to be made there. Um, or if the government says, look, we're going to put a lot of money into uh, left behind areas of the UK, that's a, that's a sense of political uh, a political choice. So I'd, I'd love your thoughts on what should change. And but in, in particular, perhaps starting with this use of evidence um, and how it could be improved, because we've all seen cases where it can be turned to any any purpose at all. I think one thing about what Ravi said, I mean, that he said an awful lot of things. And I think one of the issues with this debate is that we do need to be clear about what is the problem we're trying to solve. Yeah. And we've already uh, in you know, like 70 minutes today uh, mentioned, you know, probably about 10 problems that we're trying to yeah. solve. So. I do think that some uh, clarity about, you know, what are the key things and actually having a plan uh, is going to be important rather than just chucking all these things around. I mean, for my own view, I don't think that the use of evidence is the big problem. I think there are some bigger ones, but use of, I mean, use of evidence um, is very important and, you know, we've uh, we, we've heard that there is there are issues about civil servants aren't prepared to take risks um, and why don't we take risks It's because there's lots of control from the Treasury and from the, from the NAO and the Public Accounts Committee about the use of public money. Um, so there is a lot of caution built into the system. Um, I mean, on the use of evidence itself, there is the issue of policy trials. There are a lot of ethical issues around that. that um, certainly in my own case, when we have suggested doing um, randomised controlled trials, there's been a lot of uh, pushback from, from ministers. Some ministers are happy to do it, others are not. I mean, when I was in DWP, we did do, we did do some uh, randomised controlled trials um, in the labour market space, but, uh, you know, th there were difficulties uh, around that. So, um, yeah, I think Obviously, we do need um, better evidence, but I, um, I think uh, I don't think that is the biggest problem in my my own view that um, issues of things like departmental structures uh, being very inflexible are, um, are are 